Hey guys, new broadcast. This is me reading the Rolling Stone article. Tour dates, October 8th through 10th, Helium Comedy Club in Philadelphia. October 22nd through 24th, Comedy Factory in Baltimore. November 6th, 7th, and 8th, my birthday weekend at the Dayton Funny Bone. That is it, everybody. This is me reading the Rolling Stone article that was written about me. Eh, I'll do an intro later, I'm sure. This is... Hey, hey guys, hey, how you doing? So, oh, I hope you're doing so good. This is the podcast. Oh, that's a little loud. There are chicks. My wife bought a uh, chicken coop. So there's chicks outside playing. They're normally in the man cave. It's 90 degrees in here because they're baby chicks. So I'm sweating. But as promised, I'm going to read to you the, who's that from? Uh, Bert Kreischer, The Undergraduate. From Rolling Stone Magazine, April 17th, 1997, RS758. It's so interesting. This is a little prelog, and I'm sure I'll do prelog, prologue, prelog, whatever. I haven't gotten smarter since this article. Um, I'm sure I'll do this throughout it. I'm sure I'll stop down and do little sidebars. So this is more than the article. But so many of my uh, people that come out to my shows know about this article but have never read it is you can't i mean you can find it online you just got to type in burke kreischer the undergraduate um but who fucking reads an article these days we all listen to podcasts and we all listen to audiobooks so i thought why not read this to you just like i did my audiobook which outsold my real book <laughs> my audiobook if you haven't gotten it i don't I, I look i don't make any money off of it uh they paid me like a flat rate that was really low uh, and I w- probably would never do it again, except it is 10 times funnier than my book, as you will soon find out, because I have a hard time reading out loud. So I will get, uh, what, it may be, I'll be able to do awesome at reading out loud, but I know I'm tired and uh, I'm home. And I fly out tomorrow. I have a podcast coming out with Yakov Smirnoff, the Russian comic. We are meeting probably Thursday night to do a podcast. I'm very excited about that. I'll post that next week. And then I'm home. And then I'm in Philly. I'm in Philly this, this month in like two weeks. Tom Skur is there this week. So his, I think all his shows are sold out. But uh, Thursday is available. So go see Tom Skur at Helium. I'm the week there, the week after Tom Segura. Uh, then I've got Dayton coming up. And... Uh, and Irvine, and then I'm off all of December, and I start up hard as fuck in January. Uh, December's I'm getting my life in order, so I may be, I may do uh, I may copy Doug Stanhope's Thirty Days in the Tank, and uh, and see what it's like, talk you through it. But here it is. Um, I'm going to start this article, but I'm going to say that I have not read this since, uh, probably since the month it came out. I read it the the morning of, and I probably read it one time right after that. But after that, I have not read this again. I started reading it the other night, and that's what prompted. Uh, there was a guy. I wish I could remember who it is. It is. Uh, I wish I could remember your name. I'm so fucking sorry. He tweeted about it. He said that he bought the original article, and I went, shit, I hadn't seen that forever. I tried to distance myself from this article. And that sounds really crazy, but when this all this started for me, um, a lot of people told me this was a horrible fucking idea, that I was just a loser, as you'll soon hear, and that I should not associate myself with that article and distance myself from it and try to get a job. And a handful of people, uh, my dad, my uncle Jerry, and Benny Lazara, all said to me, uh, you should take this as an opportunity. And from that, I tried stand up for the first time with Christian Harloff. Who's a comedy store comic? He goes. He's got a podcast called Schmoes No, and uh, I'm going to have him on the podcast hopefully next week, and I'll post it right out. Maybe I'll post it right before Yakov Smirnoff, and we'll have a theme this month of remembering when. But Christian Harloff, it is confirmed. I talked about this earlier. It is confirmed. Give me the best advice of my comedy career easily, and that was I was opening a beer and. Uh, he was standing next to me. And said, I don't know why I never thought it was him. I think ultimately, ultimately, because there's this thing online because that said his name, his age was wrong. It said he was younger, and I was like, "Well, that can't be him. He's my age, and he is my age, roughly. He's a little younger." But, um, 
and I had run into anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, fucking sidebar, sidebar, sidebar. Anyway, uh, I had uh, Christian Harloff gave me this advice. He said uh, I was drinking. I was about to drink a Miller Lite. I love small details. I love small details. You're gonna get a ton of them in this fucking story. I'm gonna give you every small detail you need to know. Um, I I was about to drink a Miller Lite, and he said to me, "Hey man, nothing for nothing, but uh, that can turn into a really bad habit." And I was like, what? He was like, if I were you, this is the first time I did it, ever did stand-up. It was a pot bellies in Tallahassee, and it was probably two weeks after this article had come out. And it was, uh, and uh, he said, if you do that now and you need, you do well, then you'll need it every time. And if this is going to be a job, this should be something you do sober. And I decided, un- very un- against everything I stood for, not to drink a beer and went up stone sober. I think I had an amazing set. We'll talk to Christian about it next week. But uh, I think I had an amazing set. It's so funny. Um, I haven't. I have not read this article in uh, a very long time. In probably 16 years. 20 years maybe. 18 years. Um, part of me doesn't feel like this is real. I remember asking Rogan one time, have you ever read the article? And he was like, no. I go, then how do you know whatever happened to me? And he was like, well, I don't know. You told me. I was like, yeah, but that's the weird thing about the world these days. But I guess not. I guess you can't be a modern-day modern Mark Twain. All your shit's accountable. I mean, the Russian mob story, I get nervous every time Every time someone from my class sits in the front room, in the front row, I'm always nervous they're going to say that I'm lying. <laughs> even though I know it's not a lie, and even though every time they've been there, they've never said anything other than that is 100% true, I, I don't know. It's like memories, my memories are so fucking weak these days. I say things and people are like, that's, that's not how it happened. I'm like, ah, kind of, right? And my wife was like, not not at all. I'm like, shut up. Are you serious? Um, but this article, this article changed my life. It was the, uh, it was, I got an agent from it. His name was Jody Hotchkiss. I love small details. Uh, he was Eric Hedegaard's agent. And uh, what's up? Okay. He was Eric Hedegaard's agent. I forget the name of his agency, but I remember writing it down on a legal pad that I kept with me for maybe the next two years of my career because that legal pad had every info in the world. Uh, There's a guy named Spiegelman. His brother is a comic in San Francisco. He is a producer, probably an executive producer now at Jimmy Kimmel. He was the first contact I made, made. He worked for American Journal, and he read the article, and he sent down... By the way, my memory is fucking questionable, but he sent down Kit Hoover, who was on the first season of Road Rules. She was the girl that slept with the Sigma Sig app. By the way, she is now married to the guy. I I shouldn't be saying this, but Kit Hoover. She's my first contact in in entertainment and the first person that ever blew me off in entertainment. Like, but not in a bad way, but like we invited her to come to this fair and... uh, she was like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. And then she was like, I'm not going to go to some fucking college fair. And she flew home. I was like, well, why wouldn't you want to stay at a college fair? Um, Kid Hoover uh, was my first contact. I'm, I partied with Johnny Knoxville that week. These are all memories that are not questionable, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I partied with John. Hopefully I can get Johnny Knoxville on the podcast and talk about that week. Because I, like, I was like famous. This changed my life. And like I said, I tried to distance myself from it, and now I kind of welcome it. It's a neat little footnote in my life, a very neat footnote that's, by the way, gotten me a lot, made me a lot of money previously. I mean, not like millions or anything, but got me paid. Was the reason Will Smith wanted to work with me? I'm certain of it, is this article and my stand-up. It's the reason CBS wanted to work with me, because this article and my stand-up. It is uh, people, yeah, so... Fuck it. What's that? Is that a is that a long it's eight minutes, not that bad. This is gonna be an hour podcast. And I hopefully you're enjoying this. What the fuck, Bert? Alright. You guys ready? Let's do it. I hope I cry. You know I cried when I first read this the first time? I cried within the first couple paragraphs. I'll try to find it. Bert Kreischer, the undergraduate. Rolling Stone magazine. By Eric Hedegaard, April 17, 1997. It has taken the Florida State student six years to become the man he is today, the top partier at the number one party school in the country. The other day, on a Tuesday, shortly before noon hour, shortly before the noon hour, (laughs) 
Bert Kreischer splashed a bit of peach schnapps and a glass of orange juice, topped it off with some vodka, and thought he'd probably skip class. He was a student at Florida State University in Tallahassee. Florida State had recently been named the number one party school in the nation by an organization called the Princeton Review. This fact had been trumped all over the nation, trumpeted all over the nation in radio reports and on television. College-bound kids everywhere pricked up their ears. All of a sudden, they thought maybe they should go to a Florida State and enjoy the kind of life that one might enjoy at the number one party school in the nation. The kind of glorious life, in fact, that Burt Kreischer, age 24, an English major, had already been leading for many years now. I remember that peach schnapps. We had just had like a, a, um, a spring weekend with like date thing. I was dating this girl, Kristen, and I had discovered... The peach schnapps and orange juice and vodka was, I forget the drink, screwdriver. No, it was something different than a screwdriver. And I couldn't stop making them. I loved them. They were so fucking refreshing. And I was getting drunk. <laughs> Bert yawned and scratched his motherfucker. Bert yawned and scratched his, some of the stubble on his chin. Listen, if I don't read every word perfectly, just you get the gist, okay? I'm not going to go back and correct every fucking word. Bert yawned. Why, who am I talking to? Me or you? Bert yawned and scratched his, some of the stubble on his chin. He stuck a finger in his drink. Tinkling the ice cubes floating around there. I really did that. I really fucking did that. I remember where I was standing right by the voice machine. The voice, the fucking voice, like the answering machine. Do you remember those? A fucking answering machine. (laughs) He thought about the day. If he didn't go to class, he'd play Frisbee instead. In the early evening, he'd hoist a few beers here at home, then hit the bars until some o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow, maybe he'd go to class, but without a doubt, He'd be drinking again by sundown. Hopefully, he wouldn't black out. Odds were against his blacking out, because he hadn't in a while. Then, looking forward in time, Bert saw Thursday evening, a great big bash on his deck with a live band and lots of beer. And Friday evening, getting soused whenever, wherever. And finally, Saturday, he'd be super loaded, before, during, and after the football game. Beyond that, into the further reaches of adulthood, he couldn't see. Why not? Why should he? He was deeply into the moment of now. Fuck. I am still in the moment of now. Fuck. That is, it served me well, but it's fucking destructive. He structured, he structured his entire existence in which he's always been seeming to vie for the honor of being the top partier at the top party school in the country around this moment of now. Let me read that again because I think that's prophetic. He was deeply in the moment of now. He'd structured his entire existence in which he was always seeming to be the top, whatever, I can't fucking read it, motherfucker, cocksucker, this is why my book's good, because I can't fucking read, and I'm a fucking idiot. He structured his entire existence in which he always seemed to be vying for the honor of being the top partier at the nation's top party school around this moment of now. I am always in the fucking now. I should talk to my therapist about that. Hutch strolled in. Hutch was one. If you Hutch, you might recognize from the story of taking acid and going to Disneyland. Hutch <laughs> strolled in. Hutch was one of Bert's three roommates. He was tall, rangy, happy-go-lucky marching, marketing major. Hutch said, "Oh man, what a day! <laughs> this is like the most beautiful day I've ever seen." <laughs> he plopped down on the couch, laughing. "Hey Bert, I made it to class today." He shouted. That's the first time it's happened in like a month and a half. When I walked in, I was like, "What the hell? I couldn't even recognize half my classmates." <laughs> That's a total perfect touch impression. <laughs> Bert snorted, rubbed his forehead, and said, God, it was one of those nights last night. He picked up the phone. It dangled in his hand while he stared off into space. He was wearing Birkenstocks, tan shorts, and a white shirt. He looked a bit like the actor John Cryer, only with a good number of extra pounds tacked on. He had a man's hairy chest and belly and a happy round face that sometimes flushed to a bright pink, especially when he was excited. He loved to laugh and crack jokes. In fact, he was the most comical guy lots of people at Florida State had ever known. He could also be highly, raucously obscene. He'd twice run for office at his fraternity, Alpha Tau Omega. The first time, he made his big campaign speech in the nude and lost. The second time, he dropped the idea of a speech. Instead, he appeared before his brothers in the nude and took a crap on a pizza box. General Bedlam ensued. He won by a landslide. These days, however... That triumph was not one he was so willing to recall. He'd grown up since then. (laughs) Fuck. 
He was still is he was still in his sixth year at Florida State. Sometime soon he might graduate. He didn't want to necessarily, but it was a possibility. Who am I trying to call? Bert asked. <laughs> it could have been his lovely girlfriend Kristen, his concerned dad Al, or his easygoing mom Gigi, or any of his pals. He couldn't remember. The warm fuzziness spread across his forebrain. He shrugged and put the phone down. It had indeed been one of those nights. Then again, when wasn't it one of those nights? 30,000 students attend Florida State University. According to the statisticians, these students, most of them Florida natives, enter the school with an average verbal SAT of 580 and an average math SAT of 590. These, this suggests that they aren't the best and brightest in the land. <laughs> people hated that, by the way. People fucking hated that. Like, because he wrote that, people were like, you fucking ruined my school. Including the teacher who fucking failed me because of this article. I wish I could remember his name. I fucking slam him. I wrote about him in my book. My book's Life of the Party. I guess I haven't really tried to, try to distance myself from this article that much, considering the name of the book's My Life of the Party. And then you were posted a picture of me fucking partying. And I'm 42 with two kids. Whatever. 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 Don't overthink it. I'm in the now. In the, uh, fuck, where was I? (laughs) Mostly, they're the kind of students who attend good public universities everywhere. In the end, great numbers, a great number of them choose to major in criminology, communications, and psychology. And not many fewer lean towards business, engineering, nursing, and hotel management, which at Florida State was known as hospitality. As in, hi, I'm a hospitality major. Major. Basically, they're good kids with stable political outlooks. According to university officials, most of them are also quite serious about getting a good education and do attend class regularly. That's fucking bullshit. That being said, these officials were chagrined to learn that their institution had been named the top party school in the nation and awarded an award based on the result of a survey that asked students about drugs and alcohol use, hours of study each day, and the uh, popularity of the fraternity system. Certainly, the school had its partiers. Even it's problem partiers, but that's true of all schools. Plus, there's so much more at Florida State than parties. There's the Seminole football team, which last year ranked number three. There's the marching band, the marching chief, chiefs, which is the country's largest, etc. Yet, for good reason, still largely unknown to the people who run the school, Florida State does seem to have this reputation as one fine place at which to get blotto. By the way, when I looked at colleges, that's all I was looking for is a fucking fun place to be. I wasn't like, what's their, uh, can you tell me more about their uh, humanities programs? I understand they have a death and dying course. That that would be something I'd be interested in. Oh, wait, you're telling me there's two-thirds girls to one-third? Oh, no, I'm boring, boring. My penis has never made any of the decisions I'd. No, this is in the article. This is me talking. This is me getting in character of me as in when I was 17. Take a stroll across the campus, and the faintest breeze seems to carry along with it the vegetable scent of hops flowing freely from any of the number of just-tapped kegs. It mixes well with the natural Florida heat. The two together summon forth images of fermentation of ripening process. The two together summon forth images of fermentation of the ripening process. I'm sure that was supposed to be better. I don't know what that means. It makes people happy. Oh, never mind. Okay, that's what it means. (laughs) In fact, you've never seen a happier student body. Everyone seems to be happy there. And once they've graduated, they're only too happy to return anytime they can, arriving by the carload on on football weekends, setting up tailgate parties near the grand, mortared expanse of Doke Campbell Stadium. By God, it's got the biggest brick foundation in the entire fucking United States, many alumni have said, to get positively hammered just like they did before, so many years ago, when they were still students at their beloved Florida State and still had a chance of becoming legendary party guys at the soon-to-be legendary party school. One time, we were driving home from Mardi Gras, and a car pulls up next to us, and suddenly we see a naked guy hanging out the window, feet and all. It's Bert. That's true, by the way. Just give me one time I went to the gym to work out and there's a guy on the treadmill with his pants jacked up his ass and an apple an apple jammed in there. It's Bert. I don't remember that. I haven't met Bert yet, but he's well known at the Tridelt sorority. If you ever meet a guy named Bert, run like hell. That's what they say. Run like hell. <sighs> it's probably wrong. I was a very sweet guy. And I was I was like only had sex with like two people at the time. So it was like I was terrified of kissing people. I really dated chicks 
I, I was so afraid of making the first kiss, turning off whatever personality had drawn them to me and making the first kiss. But definitely run like hell's a good idea. And by the way, a wonderful person, the funniest guy ever. He's just hilarious, but he has a soft side too. Could be a great salesman, a great person to talk to. I find him offensive. He's out of control. Bert can get away with anything. Those are all pretty accurate statements about me that are each in quotations, starting from the Mardi Gras one down to Bert can get away with anything. I couldn't, I could get away with a lot in college, but that was back when anyone could get away with anything. About Bert, everyone can't. Uh, sorry. It's weird. It's fucking bizarre to think this had ruined my life when this came out, as the people on campus had said your life's been ruined really really i was on the phone with a girl i was in bed i was I mean, she ran like administrations and she was like son your life's been ruined and i was like by the way there wasn't any chance for me to have a career i remember laying in bed going my life's been ruined fuck i was like i never felt more like i had like fucked up and i was like wait and then i got off and everyone's and then fucking the people from oprah called and they were like we'd like to do an interview with you and i was like uh never mind for bert everyone on campus seemed to have an opinion or at least a representative and highly emblematic emblem emblematic bert story perhaps apocryphal probably not in many ways over the years he had become a larger than life in a in let me start this whole paragraph over again about bert everyone on campus seemed to motherfucker about bert Everyone on campus seemed to have an opinion or at least a representative and highly emblematic Burt story. Perhaps apocryphal. Probably not. In many ways, over the years, he had become a larger than life. He had become a larger than life, a figure of vaguely totemic proportions who could often be seen dancing joyously in the crosstown traffic on Tennessee Street on his way to one of the many bars doing bang-up business there, or playing mad dash round of frisbee golf down the long, broad tongue of Landis Green, bouncing the frisbee off the steps of Strozier Library, just grazing the startled bookworms, or wheeling his black Jeep Cherokee around the fountain circle at Westcott, headed for Ivy Way, where he would turn up Tupac on his stereo so loud that all the frickin' cool black chicks would swivel their heads his way. He loves that so much. (laughs) I fucking did. I used to love listening to Tupac loud as fuck in that car. At various times, he could also be cruising along Stadium Drive by the hallowed Doak Campbell Stadium. Bert loved Doak. He loved the Seminoles. I did. I really did. I used to cry when they'd throw the spear in the... I still... I did last time I went to a game with Tommy Buns and uh, my friends uh, for the national championship. They threw the thing and the spear in, the flaming spear, and I cried. I still cry if I'm in a game. Not when I watch it on TV. That'd be fucking weird. Now I cried the time traveler's wife. Bert loved Doak. He loved the Seminoles. He loved what was inside the stadium on the 50-yard line, smack dab in the middle of the field. A Seminole head painted on the hard ground in black and white garnets and gold. It was there. It was where, one day, Luck and his girlfriend permitting, he hoped to enjoy some sweet midnight hour nookie. It was one of his, it was one of his most fervent college years ambition. Uh, it was, but not really. Like, I didn't really give a total fuck about that. Like, I I actually liked going out there and getting high with Hutch and playing Frisbee. Because you could throw a Frisbee like 100 yards. We had these aerobies, and we would go out. I remember one time I went out there with Hutch, and we go out. We got the aerobie, and he's we smoke a joint. And then he pulls out this fucking, <laughs> this, uh, this, uh, like, plastic bag of uh, imitation crab meat and then starts raising his eyebrows at me as we're eating this image. He goes, take some, take some. So I take it and I eat it. I'm like, okay. And he starts raising his eyebrows at me. He's like, pretty nice, huh? I said, what? And he goes, this little slice of life we got pretty nice. I go, sure. And he goes, eating lobster on the 50 yard line, high as fuck. (laughs) I was like, it's imitation crab meat out of a plastic bag and we just smoked bullshit weed. (laughs) <laughs> and then we threw frisbee and laughed all night. God, I fucking love those times. Pretty nice. PRJ, that's what he said. He goes, pretty nice. Smoking a PRJ, eating lobster on the 50-yard line. PRJ was what I used to call pre-roll joints. Oh, you got a PRJ? 
Oh, yeah, I got PRJs. I got a couple PRJs. Uh, fucking. At the moment, he lived with a ton of other Florida State students on a leafy green townhouse complex called Indian Village. Besides Hutch, who had a grade point average of 3.1, Bert had two other roommates, Blair, a 3.2 GPA marketing major senior, the son of a heart surgeon, and Jimmy, a junior baseball playing communications major with a GPA of 3.0. A straight arrow until moving here with Bert. Bert himself had a GPA of just 2.27, just above failing. He grew up in Tampa, Florida, attended a private Jesuit high school. His dad was a real estate attorney. His mom worked in early childhood development. Outside Bert's Tallahassee apartment, a thousand cigarette butts covered the ground. His Jeep Cherokee, a gift from his parents on his 22nd birthday, uh, sounds right, was nuzzled deep into the carport facing the blue waters of the complex suburban dream swimming pool. Upstairs, Bert was just lounging around, goofing off, not worrying about any schoolwork that might be due that day, as he explained just how sweet Florida State life can be. Okay, like, here's the deal. He said with a laugh. <laughs> okay, like, here's the deal. There are way more girls than there are guys in Florida State. So guys here will break up with a hot girl simply because they think they can get something better. Or, in the real world, they think, in the real world, you get a hot girl and you're like, whoo, my buddies like her. I like her. She wants me. I'm staying with her. Well, here you have a hot girl and you'll be like, screw it. I can do better because you really can. That sounds like a fucking statement I definitely said, although I never broke up with any hot chick. I was always like grateful to have the one I had. But that happened. He spread his arms and gestured towards his own slightly flabby, slightly thin of hair self. I mean, look at me. I'm not that great looking of a guy. I'm 20 pounds overweight. By the way, at the time, I probably was fucking great looking. Now, compared to how fucking fat I am, because I'm the fattest motherfucker in the world. I'm the fattest I've ever been right now. I'm the fucking fattest I've ever been on the world, and, and I'm on TV. You'd think that would be a driving... Here we go. Back to the article. Back to the article. Back to the article. What are you doing, B-Man? Get your fucking head in the game. Come on. We're here for a reason, not to talk about fucking fat you are, you piece of shit. I worked out today, and I'm on my cleanse, although I feel like I cheated because I had kombucha, because I've been having stomach problems. I mean, look at me. I'm not that great looking of a guy. I'm 20 pounds overweight, but I can show you pictures of girls I've hooked up with, and you'd be like, whoosh, I'm telling you, it's so easy to hook up here. That's probably accurate. But by the way, I'd only show like probably five pictures, maybe 10 pictures. I didn't fuck around a lot. I had a girlfriend for five years in college. How long were you in college? Like six and a half, seven. Um, And then this girl, Kristen, I dated, but in between the two, I had a pretty fun summer. And I cheated on my first girlfriend a lot. (laughs) Like, a good deal. I'm glad I did, too. I'm really glad I did. I believe in cheating. No, okay, here we go. He went up to the front door and opened it, flooding the apartment with sunlight of yet another gorgeous Florida day. The sunlight covered the surfboard stashed away under the steps, leading to the second floor. The mountain bikes, the frisbees, the golf clubs. It caught thousands of bits of dust rising from the living room carpet. Can I tell you when I read that in the article, I looked up to see if that was true. And I saw thousands of bits of dust covering the, filling the air and hitting the sunlight. And I went, God, that guy's fucking good. That guy's really fucking good. Um, it glanced off a couple of stray CD covers, shot back into the recess of the kitchen, collided with a huge box of frosted mini-wheats. I don't believe that, but I'm sure it was there, but I never had fucking cereal. And a handful box of ibuprofen tablets. If you had asked me then what ibuprofen was, I'd be like, I know it's for your brain, but I don't know what it's for. Then splintered off to illuminate the labels of the myriad of empty liquor bottles on the top of the kitchen cabinet. That's true. Labels for vodka, rum, and gin. The main, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, bad wines, syrupy concoctions used to make Janis Joplin blends and weep syrupy concoctions such as used motherfucker syrupy 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 concoctions such as used to make janis joplin bend and weep all sorts of casked distilled distillates that draw their this was not written for college students all sorts of cast distillates that draw their potency for the fermenting of innocence herbs Grass, leaves, seeds, corn, barley, juniper berries, sugar cane, the cactus-like plant known as agave tequilana berry. Good writing, Eric. I haven't talked to Eric in fucking probably 15 years. In the mid-morning heat, 
I'd like to have him on my podcast. Um, he wrote an article about Chris Farley right after this that was fucking amazing. And right before this, and I've quoted Eric about this, he wrote an article about going to Japan and getting in these ice, ice cold uh, waterfalls and it giving you closure. And I did that one time. And it does, not closure, gives you enlightenment. And it does not. It makes you feel like you're going to die. In the mid-morning heat, Bert perspired lightly. Jimmy and Blair walked in and flopped down. They held forth on various sporting events hotly. The phone rang. Bert answered it and with a mock thug answer accent said, no, this isn't Bert. No, Bert's out partying, taking bong hits, smoking beer. Who this? Afterwards, he talked for a long time about his friends. I think I've got the coolest friends in the entire world. I really do. By the way, I really did. He said, besides Hutch, Blair, and Jimmy, there were Obi. By the way, Obi's uh, now an actor. You can see him in movies. I think his name is Jasket O'Beals. I think that's his name. Check him out. He's in, uh, he's in a bunch of movies. Clint, Philly, Mason, Pat, Dudash, Big Country, a huge hilking figure that actually got lots of play. Seth, Hemstreet, McBay, Tripp, and Grimes. Bert laughed loudly, shook his head in disbelief, and slapped his knee as he told stories about each of them and their lives together, their special moment in time. By the way, I just realized my daughter is going to read this one day. You do, you're messing with the... What are you doing, baby? I'm looking for your Oh, don't worry. I'm already reading it. I'm reading it online. Oh, Yeah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, my wife read this article after we were dating for how long? Two, three months, my wife read this article. Hang on. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here real quick. Real quick. Just two seconds. So what, what, was your, what was your impression when you read the article? We were laying in bed. Remember that? I don't know. I didn't really... I mean, I think... Uh... I thought it was really cool, but I did, I wasn't like, oh, my God, who is this crazy person? Like, I think you were afraid, okay. I would think. Okay. Sorry. No, that's fine. Fine. Ruin this podcast. Just ruin it. Bert grunted happily at the memories, then jumped up a flight of stairs to the bathroom to douse his scalp with Rogaine. Still use it. This is such a boom-boom school. It really is, he, cont- he continued brightly. No one goes to class. No one takes fucking notes in class. I've been to my introduction to the public relations class twice. And it was like, I've been, I think I've only been to my introduction to public relations class twice. And it was for the two tests. My Shakespeare class, I have pretty poor attendance in two. But I did write a paper, a critical analysis of the the Shrew. My theory was Kate's not a bad girl because her first words in the whole play are nice words. That means, to me, we're getting a good girl. It's just circumstance. Everyone acts like an asshole to her, so she acts like a bitch back to them. She had to. Her father's a cocksucker. Her sister's a cunt. Even Petruccio's kind of an asshole. Bert paused. I don't know if the teacher feels the same way I do, but I sure hope she does. Purposely, Bert took no classes that started before 1230 in the afternoon with equal purpose. He'd seen it. He'd seen to it that none of his classes fell on a with equal purpose. He'd seen to it that none of his classes fell on a Monday or on a Friday, thus extending his pure party time. Later, we recalled a class where he once took called alcohol abuse and use. I do remember we all everyone had to take this. In it, he filled out a survey to see if he was qualified an alcoholic. According to that thing, I'm a raving alcoholic. Bert said with a kind of distant chuckle. I mean, one of the questions was, "Do you blow off prior engagements to drink?" Well, uh, yeah. But I think we're in such a different little microcosm here. There's always something going on that includes drinking. I haven't fucking changed at all. Jesus Christ. Fuck it. I maybe should have taken that fucking seriously. <laughs> if it was, I, I can only say that laughingly because I haven't drank in a while. Uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have. Okay. If it wasn't at some sort of shindig put on it. If it wasn't at some sort of shindig put on by a friend, fraternity, or sorority, it was at the bars. Tallahassee was loaded with them. There was AJs, Po Boys, Pop Bellies, Club Park Avenue. We called that CPA, and that's where everyone did ecstasy. Fusions, don't remember that one at all. Yanni's, Ken's, Bullwinkles, and Floyd's. With Sunday's Old Wave Night featuring retro sounds like the good old 70s and 80s, which now must be called, uh, I don't know what they call that now. As it happened, Bert viewed this multitude of options as a good thing. And sometimes his head swam with how great it was all at Florida State. The bars, the classes, the girls, the weathers, the friends, the memories, everything. There are days where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy I'm living the life I'm living, he said. I mean, having such a great time that somebody's got to be having a shitty time. The way I see it, God had to fuck somebody, didn't he? That's so funny. You know, David Tell had a joke that he's like, 
uh, I forget the thing, but he's like, I, I think the joke is, uh, oh yeah, God's great, God's great. Well, you're having a great day. The retarded kid's getting finger fucked at softball camp or whatever. I think that was the. I'm, I'm ruining the David Tell joke, but I remember hearing that joke and going, "Oh, I had a premise like that when I was in college," but uh, I always felt like that. And by the way, my little microcosm of a world at the time, I had no idea about things like Darfur or uh, fucking the immigrants uh, over in Hungary or whatever the fuck was going on in the world. I had no clue. I just assumed. Let's read that one more time. There are days where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy I'm living the life I'm living. I mean, having such a great time, somebody's got to be having a shitty time, right? Fuck yeah, Bert, you idiot. Yeah, a lot of people are having shitty times. The way I see it, God had to fuck somebody, didn't he? Fuck. Oh my God. That night, or maybe it was the next night, or maybe it was every night rolled into one. No one could really remember once the warm fuzziness tapped into their forebrains. Bert started off at Po' Boys on Pensacola Street, then stopped by Yanni's on Tennessee Street, where all the best bars were, and ended up on Pat Potbelly's on College Avenue. Everywhere he went, people knew who he was and raised their voice in greeting. Well, yeah, it was the bars I was going to where, the, where my friends were at. So that, hey, Bert, yo, Bert, say, Bert. That's what they say. That's what's in the article. Sometimes... When he walked in, people stopped and stared like he was Pablo Picasso or some other famous asshole. Occasionally, he whipped out his sunglasses and slapped him over his eyes. The shades made him look like some sort of raffish Skid Row Tom Cruise. But he wore them only so he could avoid having to say hello to people whose names he couldn't remember. I still do that. For the part of the night, he had his girlfriend Kristen with him. She was indeed gorgeous. She really was hot. She probably still is. She had two kids. That doesn't matter. Probably makes her sexier in my eyes now. She w- she really was gorgeous. Kristen was a social worker with a major. So- Kristen was a social work major, trim, athletic, somewhat of a giggler, very sweet, and so- and some and though it, sometimes it was said a little con- too controlling of Bert. That was not true, by the way. Tonight wasn't the case. Bert was in high party form, spotting a girl named Courtney who was standing in line at the girls' bathroom. He leaned on her and said, you ought, to see the, you ought to see her give oral sex. Wow, I'll tell you right now. Because Bert was Bert, Courtney laughed. Courtney, by the way, is Courtney Hansen. Courtney Hansen did uh, a show called, called Overhauling. Uh, she is f- uh, inarguably famous now. And she moved out to L.A. when I moved out to New York and moved out to L.A. And I still know Courtney. She, too, has had babies, I think. Courtney laughed because Bert was Bert. Courtney started to get into what he was saying. It's astounding, she roared back. I mean, it's astounding what I can do. Bert chortled. I never understood that word. Chortled and moved on. He was drinking beers and getting red in the face. He grabbed Kristen and led her through the crowd to the dance floor. They got up there, and on the front lip of the stage, Bert danced a kind of mad frog, grinning wildly, his big head bobbing up and down. He danced to the crowd, to Kristen, and to himself. You can see him mouthing the words to the song, his eyes closed in deep, soulful appreciation. Then he and Kristen took up their beers and pushed forward, talking to their friends. Bert saw Hutch standing over by the pool tables. Hutch's eyes were blank. His expression was blank. He appeared to be floating in place. Next to him was his fiancée, Angie. By the way, I should note that Hutch, the character of Hutch, and I don't know if it's the same character. I had no connection. I didn't make this movie. But they kept Hutch's name in uh, Van Wilder. I, th- always find, I always found that interesting. I wish they had known more about his character because he's so goddamn funny. Uh, like Kristen, Angie was gorgeous, blonde, and very sweet with the most mellow, liquid green eyes. She was a recent Florida State graduate with a degree in hospitality. She puts no restraints on Hutch, Bert said, wonderstruck. When he's loaded, she'll be like sloshing beers on her and she'll be like, hun, hun, we gotta, he'll be sorry toots and just walk away. And she'll go, isn't he cute? He gets so wasted. Watch him. Sure, slowly, but surely he will black out. He doesn't mean to hurt a soul. He really, by, by the way, I don't even think Hutch drinks anymore. Oh no, he still drinks. He definitely does not smoke pot. Bert's friend Pat wandered up. He was a round faced, khaki wearing type of guy. He had just done, he had just been to a job interview. He'd come away with an impression that the only thing of import. Okay, now my eyes are starting to get tired. How fucking long is this article? He'd come away with the impression that the only thing of importance at a job interview is how you present yourself, how you come off. He'd also learn that if he got the job, he would be expected to put in a full day's work. A full day's work. He was stunned by this bit of news and apparently said as much to the interviewer. 
I know who this guy is. I'm not going to say his name, so I'm sure he has a job now. I'm like, oh, shit. I better rethink this whole thing, he said. Bert took a swig of beer. Lately, his father had been hounding him. Bert took a swig of beer. Lately, his father had been hounding him to stop partying so much and get a job. The whole job hunt has been a real trip, Pat went on. I mean, I think about some some poor sack of shit sitting next to me going, oh, my God. What if I don't get this job? I've got a wife. I've got kids. And I'm like, what if they offer me this job? I might have to take it. It's interesting the way perspective changes in life. Because now I am. I've been that poor sack of shit. This, I don't even know if I have any insight on this article. Or I'm just going to fucking talk. This hit Bert in, in the funny bone. He began laughing. He knew precisely what Pat meant. Oh, yeah. Bert sang out. I'd rather be the guy. I'd rather the guy have the job. I mean, let me be an Aspen for four years. To my dad, I'd be like, I gotta find myself. I don't even know who Bert is. A number of guys had gathered around Bert and Pat, and they were all in various states of uproar. Bert was yelling, "Like, how can I start working when I don't know who I am yet?" <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what I'm gonna tell him. Exactly, exactly right," said Pat boozingly. Bert shook his head. Jesus, he said flatly. Then he noticed that his beer was empty. Uh oh, time for another beer, guys. Then he noticed. Not far away, Kristen and Angie. Enough of this shop talk, he popped in. Let's talk about bitches. Kristen giggled. Angie said, stop that, Bert. Sorry, sorry, said Bert, said mockingly. I have no real connection to these moments in this article where they, I mean, I'm certain they all happened, but I don't remember any of this shit. Like, I remember the moments, but I don't remember that conversation. I know who that guy was, though. He drifted off, headed for another, he, motherfucker! He drifted off, headed for the bar and another beer. He punched his arms in the air as he went, so that soon all you could see of him were his waving outstretched fingers, Jen then the nails, then nothing, as the crowd swallowed him up. Maybe the way, that's the way it had been for a guy named Rod. When Bert joined Alpha Omega, Rod was his idol. He was good-looking, had a ton of friends, always knew what to say. He drank hard, but you could never tell he was drunk. He drove a sweet Honda Accord and later a sweet BMW. Then Hot Rod graduated. The last Bert knew, he was living somewhere in South Florida selling home alarm systems. God damn it. I know that guy on Facebook. He catches big ass fucking Marlins. He's got a pretty sweet life. I think he's still married to the same woman. His kids are all studs too. Right now. I wish I want to tell you their names so you can find them on fucking Facebook, but that's not how this works. Right now, Bert couldn't be seen in the crowd. He was in there somewhere, though, and sometimes later, he'd be heard shouting, Hey, hey, who am I? Who is Bert? His voice rising with some quite... Fucking shit, Bert. Why can't you read out loud? Are you really dyslexic? Oh, is this how it works? Right now, Bert couldn't be seen in the crowd. He was in there somewhere, though, and sometimes later, he'd be heard shouting, Hey, who am I? Who is Bert? His voice rising with some quite clarity through the early morning howl and dim. In a manner of speaking, everyone knew what would happen to Hutch at Florida State. He was anyone's equal in the drinking department, but it was perfectly clear what would become of him after graduation and after marrying Ange. He was truly gifted, a talented salesman for by the way, he still is, and he's fucking killing it. For several summers in a row, he sold books door-to-door for Southwestern Publishing Company, earning numerous awards and enough money to put himself through college with lots left over. No matter where he got a job, he would be a great thundering success. It wouldn't even have to be in sales. He could do anything. This was a fact. Just like that, just like it was with Blair, who had clearly inherited his heart for the... Clearly, this was a fact, just like it was with Blair, who had clearly inherited his heart surgeon father's smarts and would also end up wealthy and successful. By the way, they both are. They both are. They both live in Tampa. Those who knew Bert, however, didn't know what he'd do after college. It was unclear. They thought he had prospects, but prospects in what? No one could say. It was a mystery, a great big mystery to everyone, including Bert himself. Sometime later that night, over pizza, he would talk about it with Kristen. This is prophetic. I remember this conversation. And I remember where Eric was sitting. I remember where Kristen was sitting. And I remember where I was sitting. I'd love to be a stand-up comic. Get drunk and hook up with prostitutes every night. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to say that. I thought I was going to say just stand-up comic thing. (laughs) Let's start that over. 
I'd love to be a stand-up comic, get drunk and hook up with prostitutes every night, he'd say. I'd love to open a bar and name it Barflies. I'd love to write a book called How to Raise a Virgin. Seriously, I think a book about that would sell. I'd love to be a movie star. That would be great. But I lost the looks a while ago. They slipped right through my hands like the sands in an hourglass. He paused for a time. You know what's funny, Kristen? I just can't picture me doing anything. I don't know if there's anything I can do. There's lots you can do, Bert, said Kristen, Bert grunting. Sure, there's lots I can do, but I don't think anyone's going to pay me to sit around an office and get loaded and crack jokes all day. Didn't know that they would. Kristen said, Bert, someday you're going to have to start thinking realistically and not the way you think. Bert eyed the pizza parlor's television. Some huckster blaring on it. Don't have the credit? You can't get the credit? At Tallahassee, Mr. Bishi, your job is, our job is your credit, no matter what your past credit is. Your job is your credit? Bert muttered, my dad has taken so many of my credit problems away. My big mistake was changing my billing address to Tallahassee. They used to send everything right to my dad and he'd pay it. Bert chewed on his pizza. Then he said, what I think I'd really make is a good air. In the morning, <laughs> in the morning, Bert felt a little unsteady. He had a crick in his neck that wouldn't go away. Also, he began to notice that after drinking, he was having a harder time sleeping. He sat down on the toilet. Behind him, on the wall, was a note taped there by Hutch. This is the beginning of a new day. It started off, God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it or I can use it for good. What I do today is important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. A few minutes later, Bert tramped downstairs and announced to no one in particular, well, just dropped the kids off of the pool. That was back when it was brand new. Hutch, Hutch glanced up. Golly, last night was fun. I was blind. I've got class at 1230, Bert said. Oh, gee, that sucks, said Hutch. The phone rang. Bert's dad was on the line. Bert's dad had finagled Bert an interview at a law firm. I actually ended up getting this job. He wanted Bert to call the law firm to make an appointment. Bert looked pained. He hung up the phone and debated calling. What if they're like, we need you at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning? He asked, gosh, he whispered with a wonder, sort of wonderment in his voice. He could feel stuff pushing on him, his dad with his job, and now Kristen wanted him to get an AIDS test. I don't really remember that, by the way. I think that was like a passing statement where we were joking about getting AIDS tests. I don't know, but he didn't want to get an AIDS test. He didn't have AIDS. He couldn't have AIDS. Oh, by the way, I'd only had sex with two girls before her. But if he did have AIDS, he definitely didn't want to know about it. This made Kristen mad. She cut off Bert from Nookie. He could just forget about the seminal head on the 50-yard line at Dope Campbell. So Bert had things on his mind today. And he had that unsteady feeling. He busied himself, ready for class. On the way, he stopped by his fraternity. The ATO building was a run-down affair with a, in a marginal neighborhood. Inside, some brothers were talking about the movie Grumpy Old Men. A brother named Justin had to write a paper on it for his multicultural film class. He hadn't seen the movie, so he wanted help which Bert offered generously. Speaking with great expansiveness, Bert said, when you look at it deeply, the whole thing's about two old men who fall in love. The gorgeous thing, the sex scene was my favorite. With one eyebrow lifted, Bert studied Justin. Justin's pencil wavered over his pad of paper. He was apparently intent on copying whatever Bert had said word for word. He frowned. Something puzzled him. Okay, wait, he said. The word when, how, how, that's spelled W-H-E-N, right? Jesus, no, Bert spat. It's W-E-N, like Zen. No, no, no. There's a T after the N, only it's silent. Justin shrugged good-naturedly and promised beers to the first person to write the paper for him. Afterwards, sitting in a classroom waiting for his public speaking teacher to arrive, Bert said, People here just aren't using their whole brains. What Florida State caters to mostly is elevating your social skills. Kids here aren't getting top-notch jobs on Wall Street, which is true, by the way, motherfuckers. But they're getting really good jobs in the departments of sales. They've got great personalities. They're really fun to be around. They always have a funny joke to leave you with. So a lot of people here become salesmen. They sell plumbing supplies, medical supplies. They sell carpets. Bert groaned and said, that's one thing I don't want to do. I just really don't want us to do that. I, by the way, I did not want to sell carpets. Matt Kaiser was selling carpets at the time in like East Georgia, West Georgia. And he had this fucking van that had captain seats in it and he would just load it up with carpets so it was like four captain seats and then you could put carpets in the center i was like and by the way i know the guy by the way that i've met since met the guy whose dad he worked for that's how small this world is 
The teacher, a pleasant name woman named Heather Nanofrio, called the class to order and asked for the names of the well-known people they found credible. She shot Billy Graham, Tom Brokaw, John Madden. He, she got Billy Graham. This is what the people, people, everyone said. Billy Graham, Tom Brokaw, John Madden, some chick's grandpa. Your grandpa shot a Burt? Girl, you talk so much shit. The girl roared with laughter. Tanafio cleared her throat. What? Well, okay, what about Mother Teresa of Calcutta? Said Bert. Tanafio, I find I, I hope I find myself as funny as you find myself of Calcutta. Is there another one? Tanafio put on a look of surprise. Bert, she exclaimed, "You know what I'm talking about." Bert put on an equally big show of looking pleased. But a while later, his knees were bouncing around under his desk. He looked at his watch repeatedly. He was ready for class to be over. A bell rang, and D'Onofrio collected the latest assignment. Bert had nothing to give her. Bert, she said, oh, Bert, we really do need to talk. Bert smiled as he scooted by. It was a charming smile, very natural, very winning. But you could see how in later years it could turn into the awful, irritating, sickly, integrated smile of the typical Florida State carpet salesman, if that, in fact, ended up being Bert's root. You could also picture his desk on the sales floor with his coffee-stained desk blotter and the tattered zigzag, Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar books in its right drawer, right drawer, right next to the desk belonged to Justin, that doomed but good-natured ATO numbskull. I think that sentence out of that paragraph out of everything fucking inspired me to get the fuck out of Tallahassee. I remember thinking, that, God damn it, is that what he thought of me? Like, is, he th- is that what he thinks will happen to me? Like, cause I really thought big things would happen to me. And he was, I guess, yeah, he thought I was a fucking idiot. Eric Edegard thought I was a really nice guy, but ultimately, I don't think he ever thought I'd be have such a a nice life. I mean, I have a really, really nice life. Like, I'm not rich or anything, but like... I'm I'm not broke and I love doing stand up and I'm really good at doing stand up and I fucking love stand up. And I have like two really great TV shows where I travel the world and get paid. And I have a really great group of friends that are the that are literally the funniest human beings on the planet. I got a great wife and I got two great kids. By the way, I'm standing up I'm sitting in my man cave which is really nice that was given to me by DIY Networks and there is coffee stain on my desk blotter. Um but that was my, I remember reading that going, is that what he thought I'd fucking be? And I didn't know who Zig Ziglar was. Now I know it's the wrestler. Such a good, such a thing could happen to a guy like Bert because it had happened to lots of guys like Bert before. One time, Bert's pal Colin woke up with a circular burn on his face. Blurry with pain, he moaned, what the hell happened? Finally, it came to him. He passed out while firing up a bong and the business end of the lighter had flipped over and branded a shape into his face. Without waking him up, this qualified Colin as a top partier, but in itself, without further achievement, placed him only in the territory level of contenders for top party guy status. I can't read some of these words. I'm fucking should be able to. Bert, on the other hand, <clears throat> was rounded in the EM Forrester sense of the word. Don't know who that is. EM. By the way, I looked up Forrester. You can put the you can put the things in. Yeah, Forrester was an English novelist, story writer. He is best known for his ironic and well plotted existences of hypocrisy. Forrester's humanic impulses towards sympathy may uh, be some in his epilogue. Howard's end. How you wrote Howard's end? Only connected. Oh fucking! I guess that's a compliment. Let's look at how he died, though. E.M. Forrester. No, no, this this guy's not a bad guy. Okay, that was, so that's a compliment. Um. Bert, on the other hand, was well-rounded in the E.M. Forrester sense of the word. Oh, maybe that isn't. I don't even know. Can someone tell me if that's a compliment or not? Um, he had too much. He had he had to much. He had much to recommend him. Bert, on the other hand, was was rounded in the E.M. Forrester sense of the word. He had much to recommend him. He wasn't just a drinker or a guy who cut class or crapper on pizza boxes. He embodied the spirit of party itself. He was, in its element, those desirable and less desirable rolled into one. He was, in it. by the way, I'm the worst fucking reader in the world. Will you read this sentence real quick, Leanne? Just two seconds. Priscilla, come on. Just two seconds, babe. 
She's going to be here any second, guys. I promise. No, I'm recording. Yeah. We read the sentence for me. This this paragraph right here, right there. Bert, on the other hand, was rounded in the E.M. Forster sense of the word. He had much to recommend him. He wasn't just a drinker or a guy who cut classes or a crapper on pizza boxes. He embodied the spirit of the party itself. He was all its elements, those desirable and less than desirable, rolled into one. When he and his pals were too drunk to drive, he'd call Kristen to pick, come pick them up. He always took care of those closest to him. Thank you. I couldn't get that sentence out of my mouth. Jimmy was in the downstairs bathroom soused. Oh, he went on. Oh, Bert opened the door. Jimmy was naked, flat on his back on the bottom of the tub. Jimmy, you look beautiful, said Bert. Jimmy went, uh, uh. Then Jimmy's girlfriend, Kathy, called. Kathy wanted to talk to Jimmy. Bert said, hey, Kath, he's really fucked up. He's like, uh, uh, like he's trying to throw up, okay? You got to forgive him. You guys fight tonight? He was pretty fucked up tonight. He gets fucked up. We all get fucked up. But Kath... If there's any retribution to be given, he's taking it right now. The room's probably spinning around him faster than it's ever spun. Okay, bye-bye. Do you know what this is? No. Rolling Stones? Do you know what that is? No. This is an article that was written about me in 1997 when I was in college. Sorry, Mom. I had too much gravitas. Well, no, 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 no. Gravitas. Okay, hop out, George. This is, you can't read this article. Oh, thank you, baby. I love you too. All right, uh, give me two seconds, okay? I'll be out in a sec. I'm almost done. I hope this is enjoyable to you guys. Shut that door, or not, or not. Often, when he or one of his friends planned to throw a bash, Bert would take it upon himself to become a living invitation. He'd pick up his guitar, gather a few pals, and make his way from sorority house to sorority house, singing songs to lure the girls to the hullabaloo. He had an especially rollicking good time whenever he showed up at Kappa Delta, if only because it was Kristen's sorority and the house mother, a stern, seeming woman with gray hair shaped like a mushroom cap, didn't like him one bit. He'd arrived around dinner time when the girls were gathering in the dining room and strum his guitar, making up a song right on the spot, rumming Florida State with Masturbate, and then shouting, Sorry, Mom, I had to say Masturbate because orgasm doesn't rhyme with Florida State. I take it back. I take it back, okay? We've got a party tomorrow night at my house. I won't masturbate or fornicate. I promise. I swear to God, Mom. I promise. You got the chicks in there? Yeah. All right. Sorry. I had to pit pause. I don't know if you noticed that, but the girls are in here, and I don't want them to hear this article. It hadn't been all fun and games, though. For instance, there was a tendency to think that Bert had ended up a six-year man simply because he couldn't get or refused to get passing grades. Nothing could be further from the truth. Lots of schooling time was lost after a fraternity brother, enraged at Bert had sung a song about the brother having sex with his girlfriend, hoisted Bert in the air and dropped him on his head. It's a true story. That same day, Bert was found wandering around the campus crying. Oh, I, did, I forgot they included this. An MRI followed. An MRI followed. And along with dropping all of his classes, along with dropping all of his classes, he had other reasons to account for his time lost. An illness of one variety or another, a near divorce of his parents, the usual life stuff. He'd even on occasion cut out the fun altogether. A while ago, he returned from a trip to Europe only to find out that his then girlfriend was sleeping with his then best friend. Bert started boozing in earnest, blacking out, gaining weight, bleaching his hair white, just in general letting himself go to seed. Then he met Kristen. They had been introduced 25 times before. He couldn't remember her name. But at Yanni's one night, they hit it off, ending up at her place for a short time later. For eight hours, they just talked. With girls in private, that was the way Bert was, a slow mover. It was a side of Bert, the well-known party guy that Kristen had seen bef- hadn't seen before. She liked it. Finally, she put her head on Bert's chest. Bert said, hey, what are you doing that for? How am I supposed to hook up with you? Kristen lifted her head. Oh, you want to kiss me? Well... You can kiss me. For the next four weeks, by the way, I told you that's how I fucking was. I didn't even, I forgot that it was in this article. For the next four weeks, they didn't go to sleep until at least five in the morning. Then, without warning or provocation, Bert decided to see if he could stop drinking. He went to Tampa to stay with his parents, and he didn't drink at all. Then he returned to Tallahassee. At first, he didn't want to go out at night, but then Kristen convinced him it wouldn't hurt. He stayed off this sauce for a total of 29 days. His teachers thought about him often. He's kind of unique, isn't he? Said Pat McNulty, his creative writing teacher. The words hung there pregnantly. 
He's one of the brighter students I've taught and one of the most entertaining people I've ever met, said D'Onofrio, his public speaking teacher. He did a speech on Rogaine. It was gutsy. He completely captivated the audience. Students came up to me afterwards like, why can't I be like Bert? The way people sometimes talked about Bert, it was almost like he was a rare commodity. Or like some, maybe someone, maybe, can you hear the chicks in the background? The way people sometimes talked about Bert, it was like he was a rare commodity. Or like maybe he was someone the MacArthur Grant people should consider for a genius grant. As if those such as him should be allowed to create their own place and station in life so they wouldn't get lost or have the essential Bert-like qualities extinguished by having to take jobs selling carpets or home alarms in South Florida. His parents, of course, fretted about him constantly. His mom, Gigi, would bravely say, I don't know whether the world's ready for Bert or not. She talked about how he started walking at 10 months. By the way, that also means I'm fucking dyslexic, mom. When you start walking before you crawl, that's a fucking dyslexia. And that's why I can't fucking read this article. But no one told me. I just felt stupid my whole fucking life, including today. And when he started talking about it, he started working in nine months and was a party in progress starting from the age of two. The drinking, does it bother me? I have eight brothers. Four of them are recovering alcoholics. Two have, of those have said Bert has the same patterns. I did not remember reading that. The only thing I can think... The only thing I can do is talk openly with him. She didn't know what he'd do after college either, but it wouldn't bother if he went after any of his more far-fetched dreams like being a stand-up comic. The average American has such limits on themselves and the way they think, she said. Bert Bert can't fit into that mode. Bert's father, though, really wished he would. Six years earlier, Al had wanted Bert to go to Duke University because Duke had wanted to play on its baseball team. Bert was an excellent baseball player, Al used to say. I was dying for him to play. Now, he just hoped his son would find what he wanted in life. But hopefully, mostly, he hoped Bert would find a job. He thought Bert was a creative kid, a sensitive kid, a good kid. Also, he said, he's an unusual kid. A bash at his place with a live band thrashing on the back deck, eight kegs flowing on the lawn, and a good 200 kids getting sloshed at Tallahassee. Good kids, 200 kids getting sloshed, and the Tallahassee police keeping a watchful eye from a distance. (whistles) At a bash at his place with a live band thrashing on the back deck, eight kegs flowing on the lawn, a good 200 kids getting sloshed, and the Tallahassee police keeping a watchful eye from a distance. Bert wore a pair of overalls, a brown ski hat, a thumb ring, a toe ring, a few earrings, and some dark makeup around his eyes. Guys don't understand it, but girls like it, he said, to explain the makeup. His father, of course, would not only not understand it, he would have hated it, just as he hated Bert's goatee. He once offered Bert $500 to get rid of it. The only reason that Bert had grown it was to cover up his double chin. But for the bucks, he shaved it off. Seeing it gone, the first thing his father had said was, Fat boy. He hadn't meant to be cruel, but Bert was hurt. Before long, the goatee was back. Bert worked his way into the crowd. He came up to a guy who was quite clearly trying to hook up with a girl. The guy was leaning forward. The girl was leaning back. Bert appraised the situation. Though he didn't know either of them, he spoke right up, calling the guy Joe. Joe, he said incredulously, Joe, you are going to be sleeping with her tonight. Oh, yeah. And what's your name? Sarah? Gonna give him a blowjob probably. Maybe I didn't read that right. Joe, you're going to be sleeping. Joe, you're going to be sleeping with her tonight? Okay, yeah, and that, and what's your name, Sarah? Gonna give him a blowjob, probably. I don't know how that. I don't remember how that was funny, but I bet they all laughed. Sarah locked, looked shocked. Hey, hey, she said. Bert started to move away. All right, I'll go over here if you don't mind. This is probably a better article if you read it because my reading is so fucking bad because I'm my nose is running. When Bert had left, Sarah looked at Joe, shrugged, smiled, and leaned his way just a little she seemed to sparkle it was like Bert had sprinkled her with some kind of sparkle dust when it's time to go to Tennessee Street Kristen hopped into the driver's seat Bert into the passenger seat and their friend Obi a rather con- contemplative English major into the back seat every time Kristen ran over a beer bottle exploded pow pow it's a jeep Bert yelled it's a jeep the three of them all howled when they arrived at Yanni's with its long line of people waiting to get in Bert stuck his head out the window and shouted Obi wants pussy on the way inside, Bert ran into Hutch 
and Blair. Jimmy was there too. By Bert's side were Kristen and Obi. He was surrounded by all his friends. He had the best of all possible worlds. He was potted. His forebrain was crowded over. This was it. That Saturday at Bert's place, Obi passed around a poem he loved. It was by E.E. E. Cummings. Obi had typed it out on a sheet of white paper. This is so like Obi because he knew there was a fucking writer there. So he, I'm sure he... Put, he literally thought of this the night before and was like, okay, if I fucking make this poem and I pass it around, I guarantee he fucking writes about it. And fuck yeah, he did. The poem is, and by the way, there's like two letters on each line. L, uh, parentheses, A, L-E, A-F, F-A, L-L, S, parentheses, or not parentheses, uh, parentheses, one, L, Innis. It's a great image, said Obi. A leaf falls on loneliness, said Bert. It's a shitty poem. It doesn't even rhyme. Now Snoop's poetry sings a little harder. Obi said, 